I'm Hemant Mehta. And I'm Jessica Blimke. And you're listening to the podcast for FriendlyAtheist.com. You can now listen to all of our episodes and see show notes at FriendlyAtheistPodcast.com. I am here with Dan Barker. Dan Barker is one of the co-presidents of the Freedom From Religion Foundation and the author of a couple really amazing books. One of them is called Godless, which kind of traces his journey from evangelical uh, evangelical Christian pastor to an atheist. And his latest book, which he'll talk about, is called Life Driven Purpose, which is kind of a riff on Rick Warren's book, correct? That's right. His purpose-driven life book. So what's the difference here? Well, it's the, the difference between looking through a pair of binoculars one way and then turning it around and looking through the same pair of binoculars another way. You're not going to see the same thing. So Rick Warren and a lot of believers think there's this kind of top-down authority that purpose comes from. There's a purpose of life. And I flip it around and say, nope, it's not purpose-driven life. It's life-driven purpose, bottom-up. So one of the things I remember reading in that book, which I thought I, I loved the passage, was about Jesus and abasement. <laughs> Do you mind going over what that uh, passage is all about? That's, that's a talk that I've been given. I've done it three or four times uh, some people call it Christianity in a nutshell, but it's, uh, it, it takes two or three minutes, but it's, uh, if I were to come out on my front porch and yell to you while you're walking by, hey, I got some good news. I got some great news for you. You don't have to go down in my basement. And you've been ignoring me, and I've, um, you know, it made me really angry, and I'm, I'm important, and you need to respect me. So I built a torture chamber down in my basement. And uh, the good news is you don't have to go down there. There's, there's fire and there's knives and there's these vats and there's this, you know, it's horrible. But I sent my son down there and it was a horrible passion of the Christ, but he suffered for you. And now my anger is satisfied and I'm not mad anymore. And all you have to do, come up on my porch and tell me, tell me how much you love me and, and hug my son and we'll live together up in the attic and you can tell me how great I am forever and ever. You know, it's a little spoof on, actually, that's the good news of the gospel. That's basically what it's all about. Right. That would be horrifying if I saw it on the news, but yeah. that's the good news we're supposed to learn <laughs> from the Bible. So I end it, end it by saying, so you're walking by, what would you do? Would you keep walking or would you want, <laughs> <laughs> would you want to go up and meet I got to see this basement. Yeah. <laughs> Right. So what's the reaction you've gotten from this particular book? Uh, is, there, is it different from anything you've gotten in the past? Well, as usual, most of the angry reaction I get from books like this are from people who never read it. Of course. You know, and in fact, they go on Amazon and they write a review of a book they've never read. But they <laughs> Reading just, is hard. <laughs> they, they just know from the title, this has to be horrible. And uh, I, I do make a comparison between... Um, you know, purpose-driven life and life-driven purpose. A purpose-driven life, if you need a purpose of life, it's like having a slave master above you. So really, Christianity and most world religions boil down to you being this humble slave of some big master. And if you look at the postures of prayer, what are they? Your head's bowed, your eyes are shut, you're kneeled prostrate, your hands are shackled together in humble obedience that you're no threat to the big alpha male up there who's the Lord. And a lot of people tell me, that's not Christianity. Christianity is not slavery. Even though Paul said, I'm a slave of Christ, a doulos. Uh, a lot of Christians think I am mischaracterizing the God of the Bible by painting him in these kind of 
what they think are kind of crude terms, you know. But actually, that's kind of what it is. It's a slave mentality of the of the scriptures. And you're not coming at this out of nowhere. I mean, you spent a, a, quite a long time in that Christian world. I was proud to call myself a slave of Christ because that gave me purpose. And yeah, I preached for 19 years trying to get other people to become slaves, which is what Rick Warren is doing. All Christian ministers are slave traders. They're trying to get people to submit to this master, this sovereign. Here in a country where we kicked out the sovereign Lord, you know, we flipped it upside down in America. Instead of having a, uh, a constitution based on some authority of some monarch or some Lord, we flipped it upside down and said, nope, it's we the people. And here's still a lot of people making a living trying to get people to flip that around and say, we are not the sovereign authority. There's some big God Lord above us. So, so now some Christians are going to hear you say that. The, 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 I'm not a slave master. That's a horrible thing to say. How, how do you tell, tell them, like, how do you react to that? Well, I would tell them, read the Bible. That's what, exactly what the Bible says. So In, if they want to be good Christians and good followers of the Bible, they need to submit as unthinking slaves to a master. In your experience, like, I don't know if you can give me a percentage or something or, or a ballpark, but how many Christians have you met who have read it, who have read the Bible? Well, every Christian says they have read the Bible, at least two or three verses. You know, they say that. <laughs> but I think it's like 1% who actually read anything more than what they hear on Sunday morning. You know, John three sixteen and the 23rd Psalm and a few verses here and there. They all think they know an awful lot about it. They think, but, but when I quote Bible verses to them, for example, I'll, I'll quote that verse. I'll compliment Jesus, for example, in, in the book of Luke. I'll compliment Jesus for being so compassionate that he said there are some slaves that you should not beat as hard as other slaves because they didn't know better, right? And they say, that's not in the Bible. Jesus didn't say you should beat slaves. And, and I open it and show them in, in Luke chapter 14. It actually, in Luke chapter 12, it actually says you should do that. Uh, well, you're misinterpreting it. You're taking it out of context. You don't understand metaphor. I mean, you hear all these arguments. They actually haven't read it, but they know that it's out of context. They haven't read it, but they know it's metaphorical. Because right? the book is supposed to be all good. Yeah, it is. By, by definition, it's, a good, it's, it's, it's right on the cover, the good book. So, Do you think you've gotten more criticism maybe for your books, for your writing, for your public speeches, because you do so many of them, or simply because you help run Freedom From Religion Foundation? It's both. Uh, it's both. I do a lot of debates, you know, which, yeah. which for me is the funnest thing in the world. Uh, I just did debate number 121 Jeez. in Dallas. And that sounds like a lot, you know. It does. But I, my first one was in February of 1985. Okay, so you've had so, some time to stretch these yeah, out. Yeah, it's like over 30 years. That's like what, like four a year. Yeah. It's a lot of debates, you know. Um, Always against different people? Not always. I did eight with Dinesh D'Souza. Okay. Eight debates in Is as this many pre, states. Pre-jail Dinesh yeah. D'Souza. Okay. <laughs> I actually met the woman, by the way. Do you know oh, no. the woman that he left his wife for? <laughs> That's what I heard. Yeah, we were, I don't know her. <laughs> we did a debate in uh, Messiah College in Pennsylvania, <laughs> and they told the Christian organizers, he told them, I'm bringing my assistant with uh-huh. me. So we were having dinner in the president's home, and there's this young woman sitting next to Dinesh. And nobody knew anything about it. And I had met his family like uh, a couple of years before. And so I leaned over and I said to this young woman, I said, so are you Dinesh's daughter? Oh, no. <laughs> and he leaned in. She's my fiance. 
Oh, well, and you should have seen the eyebrows of all the Christian. He told us he was bringing his assistant, and they only needed one hotel room, uh-huh. and and he hadn't filed for divorce yet. Anyway, right, uh, and and this was public. This, I mean, this became a news story in and of itself. Well, like two days later, yeah. Well, finally, when it came out, and then he got fired from King's College, and right. Here's here, and see, I didn't care. I actually went up to him afterwards, and I said, "Congratulations." I'm not moralistic about somebody's, you know, marriages fall apart and you get remarried, mm-hmm. but the the hypocrisy here is Dinesh is a guy who's written these books about the evils of infidelity and fornication and, the, and America's going down this moral hill. And so there's a real hypocrisy there for him to say one right. thing and live his life, you know, another way. Hear that, Gawker? Uh-huh. <laughs> um, what have you... So when you debate someone eight times, what do you pick up on? Like, do you use information from debate, like, two and then bring it back in debate seven? Well, yeah, kind of, because... Um, and the topics are always different. Sure. They're not always, does God exist? Sometimes is Christianity a good force for the world or whatever? Or can you be good without God? But Dinesh has about, at least he did, he has about six or eight of these kind of snappy, witty one-liners that mm-hmm. he uses. And so after he used the same one three or four times, I found some ways to snap back at those, you know, which was kind sure. of... <laughs> Or you can use them before he gets a chance to. Well, they're not that good. I, I'll let, let him use them. Um, do you uh, do you get to know your opponent really well in the sense that, like, uh, is there, like, a begrudging respect for someone you debate multiple times? Or is it just like, oh, God, this guy again. All right, I'll trash him another time. The debates happen at so many different levels. So at the personal level, we actually got along fine. We talk about our families, and you know, because you're cordial, right? You're human beings, Sure. Right? But then there's the uh, the on, like in quotes, you're on. You have to be before an audience. Yeah. At that level, there's a different personality that you're talking with. And maybe we're all like that. Maybe when we're giving a talk, when you're giving one of your great speeches, you know, you're Hemant the speaker, and rather than, you know. <laughs> uh, by the way, we're both friendly atheists. I know. Did you know that? Yeah. I heard. Yeah. So um, <laughs> th- what does that make? Atheism squared or something? Something like that. Friend- friendly squared. <laughs> but... Uh, um, we all we both realize in one sense and this isn't this isn't you know hypocritical but but in one sense it's a show we're doing a public event for a certain purpose that's above and beyond actually convincing your opponent the purpose could be to bring a crowd of free thinkers together for an event or it could be uh, educational or it could be pr or whatever there's all sorts of other things happening at different levels so at that higher level we do have a kind of appreciative respect that at least there's somebody who's willing to do a debate like this so that we can put on events like this. That's kind of neat that you find believers who are willing to do that. One of the reasons I don't do debates is, maybe it's not the only reason, but do you ever think, you know, I know I'm never going to convince someone like Dinesh D'Souza to come over to my side on this issue, so we kind of are putting on this show because I want to convince the audience. Yeah. Uh, this is the same like thing I had with the Ken Ham Bill Nye debate, which is these guys are not going to convince each other to adopt each other's views. They're really putting on a show, and to me, there's something just weird about that. Like I would rather do a debate only if I thought, okay, well, I'm going to really try to convince this other person on stage. Um, that would be interesting to me, and then if the audience comes along for the ride, great. I don't know. It, it, there's something about a debate that just seems like a charade in I, some sense. Well, I, I agree with you there. there is a, there's a level of showmanship involved. And yeah. It's an event. It's a public thing, right? So I agree with you about that. But I think it's the other way around. I'm aiming at those... It's mo, uh, when it's happening at a university, there's a big chunk of maybe 20% of the audience that really is in the middle. 
They're at school. They're away from their home for the first time. They're away from their church. They're coming to school to see a variety of viewpoints. I'm aiming at them, and ideally, wouldn't it be great if Dinesh changed his mind, you know? Right. But that's a long shot. I mean, that's, that's not the goal of going into a debate, to change his mind. And we both know that. Mm-hmm. We're, if you're committed enough to agree to do a debate, you're really committed to your point of view. So we both know that. You might get a little concession or two out of either one of us about some little point here and there, which is fine. But I get letters and emails from people who say that debate got them thinking. And I heard from a guy who was on the side of my opponent. He was one of his research assistants who later changed his mind. And he said, you know, it didn't happen during your debate, but that was sort of nudging me. So it does happen. People do change their mind. And the more open and educational we can be about it. Um, I wouldn't say let's write off the opponent, but the probability is so low that your opponent is going to change that you should focus on talking to the people out in the audience. So when you go into these debates, are you thinking like Dinesh D'Souza? I mean... I don't know the guy personally, but I'm thinking, I know he's a good speaker. I know he's, he's a good performer when it comes to these debates. Yeah. He's wrong on these issues. Is the thought process like, okay, that'll be a fun debate because I know people are going to be interested both, in both ways. No one's going to fall asleep during that debate. So there's this kind of like, all right, I, I like that guy. I disagree with him, but I like that guy. Yeah, and as far as performance goes, he's, he's one of the best. He's not one of the best thinkers. But he's, you know, he's, I think that way about C.S. Lewis, for example. I yeah. think C.S. Lewis was a great, brilliant writer. I don't think his ideas were very good. I think they were wrong. But boy, I wish I could write like C.S. Lewis. So you might see a Christian debater and go, wow, he, he's nuts. But I love the way he makes his points. And so um, you, in a debate, you want it to at least look like it's a fair fight. <laughs> I get criticized sometimes for doing debates with local ministers who don't know what they're talking about. And then the, the Christians come up and say, you shouldn't have debated that guy. You should have debated somebody else, you know? So you want it, you want it to look like it's both sides are fair and balanced. Sure. So let me jump to Freedom From Religion Foundation. Just to, I, I'm sure everyone's pretty familiar with the organization, but give us a sense of uh, how many cases do you guys deal with every year? What are the big things you do? How many staff do you have at this point? Because and how many members? Because every time I hear these numbers, they just keep getting bigger. We passed 23,000 members uh, a, f- a couple of months ago, and it's at the point where it's kind of fluctuating. But I think we're now solidly above 23. Wow. Because you lose people. You lose, you know, there's attrition and you lose. If, Why uh, do you lose people? Well, either Is they, it frustration with FFRF or is it like I no. became a Christian? Or? <laughs> well, one of the reasons we lose people is we have a kind of an older membership. Yeah. About a third of our members are retired or more. And that's kind of a bittersweet way of right. losing somebody. But also, uh, a bunch of people try you out for one year, and they don't renew. Okay. If they renew for that second year, you've got them, right? So mm-hmm. they're like trying you out. Yeah, send me your sample, and I'll join. So for a group like ours, just to stay flat yeah. is an accomplishment. Because you're always going to be losing. People move, they lose track, or they, they can't afford it this year. So um, we, uh, we just expanded our national headquarters. Yeah, you built like a and, new addition uh, to the old building. Y- you were right. in the old building, right? I have you seen, seen the seen old it. building. I have not seen the new building. You have to come and see it. It's, we have four times the space now. Wow. And we, have, we actually have For anyone who... I mean, if you haven't been to this place, when I saw the old building, yeah. I mean, they had a lot of staff working in very limited space and all <laughs> the material, like the, the newspapers, the, the products that you guys have. I mean, they're cr- jam-packed. It's like you're moving from like a big 
I don't know, three bedroom big yeah. house into a studio. Like everything's just crammed oh, everywhere. It was, it was horrible. And that's not the case now. But you know what? Nobody was complaining. Our attorneys were right. just happy with the work. You should have seen Andrew. Maybe you saw Andrew's desk. It was just a little desk in a corner of what was an old <laughs> living room. Right. <laughs> that's his attorney's office. Andrew now has, and Sam and Patrick and Liz and Rebecca now have, Actual offices with doors, you know what I mean? <laughs> well so, deserved. So when he's doing a radio interview, he can shut the door and yeah. he can scream at the host all he wants. And there you so, go. <laughs> uh, and so uh, we have, se- I think it's 17 now, uh, that, because there's summer help that comes and goes. Yeah. 17 full-time staff Whoa. now, including five full-time attorneys and two full-time legal fellows. They're attorneys too. They're working on a fellowship for like a one-year thing. So we have seven attorneys in there, plus... Um, two to five legal interns. We have legal intern stations. So last week, at, uh, two weeks ago at our legal meeting, there was 15 people at the meeting, which was amazing that we have a meeting talking about legal strategy with 15 people. And what's going on at these legal meetings? Well, we're talking- Is it just like, let's go, like, let's all <laughs> denounce Christianity? No, that's, what's going on? It's a state church thing. Yeah. Uh, our legal, uh, the main purpose of the Freedom From Religion Foundation is to keep religion and government separate. So- uh, there's a report about how many letters went out last week, how many complaints, how many victories. A lot of victories we get without going to court, which is your goal. The law's already settled, so we write letters to a high school principal or a mayor or a county executive and a president of a school board. Here's what the law says. You should stop doing this illegal religious thing. And often they will agree and they'll stop, sometimes because they agree with us, sometimes because they don't want to risk spending the money on a lawsuit, right, which is kind of cool. Um, I think I can announce now we just settled a lawsuit in Georgia, uh, which they were fighting, and they finally agreed well, this is going to cost too much. Well, they spent many thousands of dollars fighting us before they decided to quit fighting us. So what, what our staff, especially Andrew, but what our staff wants to use now in Georgia is say, look, we're not just complaining. We, there's teeth behind it. We might, and we can, and we do sue. And look at this school district had to pay this many tens of thousands of dollars, so this could happen to you too. So if I'm a critic, if I'm playing devil's advocate here, I'm going to say, so you're just bullying these schools into saying, look, it's going to cost you money if we come after you. You're better off just doing what we say. Actually, that argument is doing them a favor because like in Ohio with the Jesus painting, uh, the public official, whoever it is. This is a painting at a public school. At a, a painting of Jesus hanging on a public school wall, yeah, which, yeah. which the principal said, that's not coming down without a court order. So, ha-ha, we got a court order and it came yeah. down. So, actually, we did the principal a favor because the principal was able to get up and say, I disagree with the Freedom from Religion Foundation. I think Jesus' painting should stay, but we can't afford it. So they get to save face. Yeah, he gets to hold his head up and say, you know, do we want to divert money from a poor school district when we should be helping our kids and we're going to spend $100,000 fighting a lawsuit about a Jesus painting? So he was able to say both things at once, and and we we don't care what they say as long as they do the right thing. So So one of the things that always surprised me, every time I see FFRF uh, send these letters or file a lawsuit... Let's take that Jesus painting, for example. This is just a painting of Jesus hanging in high... That is so undoubtedly wrong and illegal. So if you guys say we're going to file a lawsuit, I'm thinking, well, of course you're going to win. Like, that. that's really not in doubt. And every time you guys file a lawsuit, that's usually... Uh, at least on a high school level or like yeah. with city councils and stuff. It's like, yeah, well, of course you're going to win. This is unequivocally wrong. Why do these... Christian legal groups take on these lawsuits, do they really think they're going to win? Well, yeah, they do. Uh, They think they can get judges on their side 
to continue. Some of them think they can overturn the law on which our victory is based. Some of them want to do that. But there's two levels here. The, uh, the local person, um, the principal, in this case, in this high school in Ohio, uh, I think their judgment has been clouded by their religion, their moral judgment, their legal judgment. Jesus is important to them. Jesus is real to them. And they don't want to be the principal that takes Jesus off the wall. I mean, think about doing that in that small community, right? So think of the feelings that person has. I don't want to be seen as that principal, right? But the groups, uh, the Liberty, um, uh, Liberty Council and uh, these other right-wing groups that, are, that, that go against us, they should be sending us an award because whenever we file a complaint or write a letter, they get to then hit all of their supporters with, help us fight the Freedom From Religion Foundation. They use our complaints to raise money, even if they don't think they can win. But that's what I'm getting at. Like, I, I get that. Yeah. That makes sense to me. But it, it would be dirty to say, like, well, look, we know we're going to lose this case, but we're going to try to fight it because we'll get their membership, we'll get their money, we'll get their respect. Yeah, we're going to lose, but whatever. That's just, you know, liberals coming after us. I think they don't, do they really think they're going to win these I cases? Think, I think they actually do. Any, any individuals who are going to take the trouble to start a right-wing Christian legal group cares about it enough. They really think America is a Christian nation and things have gone really bad. And they, they're here to try to fix it. And even if they lose, knowingly, they're still doing the right thing. And mm -hmm. so... They want to be seen by their supporters as doing the right thing. And, yeah, we lost this case, but we fought for Jesus. You know. How much interaction does FFRF and your attorneys have with their side? Well, we have to talk. In fact, sometimes it's very friendly. I mean, attorneys on, in any case can sometimes be very cordial. Uh, and you have to be when you're talking about both of you presenting to a judge, right? Both right. of you going to a judge. Uh, so there is some interaction. What are those conversations like? Well, they're technical, both yeah. mostly. They're mostly, it's not like on issues. Very rarely do we argue about that stuff. It's technical. You're not having a debate over the phone on no, these No, 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 but we might on a TV interview. Right. I mean, we might get called by Fox News to do a, what about this lawsuit? And then, right. and then you're going at it over the issues, right? Right. But uh, a more interesting interaction is between the uh, free thought groups. Uh, you know, the American Humanists and the Center for Inquiry and American Atheists and the ACLU. Yeah. Uh, all of the attorneys in this sort of milieu of, of free thought, skeptical um, organizations, we all know each other. They all know each other. They're all friendly. And we're comparing strategies. And often we will coordinate uh, uh, amicus briefs for each other. One, like CFI might be filing a lawsuit and then we could offer to write an amicus brief for them. In fact, one of our uh, legal fellows this year, Kat Page, uh, who worked for us, is just now leaving to go work in D.C. for the American Humans Association uh, on their legal team. So there's a lot of that kind of cross-pollination where on, in, in, in one level we're kind of friendly competitors, you know, uh, as organizations. At the other level, though, we work together uh, admirably, I think, in sharing resources because we want to win these cases. Right, so this is interesting because... Uh, I don't know, 10 years ago, I'm totally making this number up. 10 years ago, FFRF was doing its thing, but I, I didn't, and of course the ACLU and Americans United was around too, but we've seen more lawsuits or letters sent from groups like the American Humanist Association. Like they really ramped up their yeah. legal side. Uh, CFI has been filing more lawsuits yeah. in some cases. Um, I mean, is that competition? Or is that, like, how can you guys work together when you are all, in a sense, competing for donors and members, things well, like that? Well, it is a very friendly, positive competition, I think. Uh, 
you know, athletes can compete with each other, but they love each other. You know yeah. what I mean? It's like, yeah, that you admire their effort and you admire what they're doing. And competing is not this right in the in the nonprofit world. It's not like business, like for profit competition. There's a lot of people, and maybe you're one of those, who join all the groups. Yeah. It's not like you. It's not like in a religion. You have to be a Methodist <laughs> or a Baptist. There's people who join FFRF and CFI and AHA, and they join all the. Because you support me- all of their missions. Yeah, because you want to get good. the literature and you care, and so it's not like. It's not like we can add up the total numbers of all the groups to get a total because there's so much overlap. How do you make sure you don't double dip in certain stories? Because if a high school principal says, uh, I'm going to pray to Jesus over the loudspeaker in the morning, um, how do you know, like, okay, we're going to send a letter to this district saying you can't do that. Well, what if, you know, the American Humanist Association is already doing Is there a way to communicate to make sure you're not double dipping? And that just kind of happens naturally just by talking. But... That happens once in a while, but yeah. usually it's the first complaint that comes in to whatever group who then sends the letter out. Uh-huh. So, uh, you know, Americans United might get a complaint from a high school student, and so they'll send a letter to that school. Uh, and then we might send one too, maybe the next day. So in the media, it looks like different groups are, are sending letters in that. So sometimes at the end of the day, you don't remember who filed the first one. I mean, <laughs> you know, and, and there's a little bit of uh, wanting to acknowledge the credit because we have supporters. We're giving yeah. money to an organization to do this work. And so if we started a, law, a lawsuit or a complaint, we want it to be known. We're the ones who started this. We, you know, They contacted us, and we wrote the letter. But we're all happy for others to jump in because yeah. more pressure to the principal or the president of the school board. Are things getting better or worse? Because I'm guessing with more attorneys, you're taking on a lot more cases. But is that a bad sign or a good sign? It's kind of like being a victim of your own success. Um, I remember back when we would have one victory a month to report, and it was big news. You know? Sure, we stopped some high school principal, uh, high school choir director from having a, a Jesus concert in Christmas time. You know, something like that. Which, and now we, we we have to put the victories back on page five and six out of our newspaper now. Mm-hmm. And sometimes there's twelve or twenty of them each month. You know, actual clear victories, uh, with or without going to court. So, I, I think. I think the fact that groups like ours are complaining more and it being more effective attracts more people. Because you, you say, well, who are you going to call, right? You're going to call Faith Busters. You're going to call <laughs> FFRF. And uh, so it's kind of cool. We got more than 3,000 complaints last year. Jeez. Uh, you can't act on all of them. Right. Some of the complaints, you have to tell them, we can't do anything about this. Some of the complaints are personal. Then we can't. We wouldn't sue over a personal complaint, you know. Like um, my mother-in-law's making me take my kids to church, or something like that. Yeah, <laughs> uh, or my some of it's employment-related. Uh, but uh, we sent way over a thousand initial letters of complaint last year, saying you're doing something wrong. Here's why it's wrong. You should fix this now. Yeah, and let us know that you fixed it. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, uh, and a, a good chunk of those are solved immediately. They just say, okay, we're going to stop this. Especially when they know, oh, the Freedom from Religion Foundation does take lawsuits. Some of them dig in, though. Some of them don't. You know, it depends on... It's not just the South, but it can be, it can be anywhere. There's a city up in, uh, across from La Crosse, Wisconsin, uh, La Crescent. They seem to be digging in on this big cross that's up over there on the river. Uh, and some of them are doing it for political reasons. They want to be seen in that community as the person who fought for the Bible, right? R- regardless of whether it's right or wrong, they want to get reelected by these people. So uh, we, we really don't want to go to court, 
but we have to. You can't just rattle sabers. You have to show that you have some teeth in your complaints. We do it, and we will, and we win, and it's going to cost you. So, has it? Uh, we talked a lot about high school. This is going out. Where do you see the most number of complaints? Is it at a school district, or is it in city councils, or somewhere else? The majority of our complaints are school related. Why? Um, I guess because of the vulnerability of students. Uh, and we can do more at the high school level because the court, the court has always been more concerned about younger people. At the college level, it's harder. But at the, at the secondary level and below, you, it's, it's actually not that hard to correct an abuse, even, even when there's opposition from the school. So, uh, but we do get a lot of symbolic uh, nativity scenes, Ten Commandments monuments, those kind of things. Public money going to private religious groups. Um, public prayer, prayer before city council meetings. And, you know, our chapter in Florida is suing um, over um, a county, Brevard County, that since the Greece decision, you know, allows sectarian prayer now, but you can't discriminate, Brevard County is telling our chapter and our people down there that you, uh, that non-believers can't do it. So this is the first case since the Greece decision is going to test uh, you know, what it means to have non-sectarian prayers. They, because non-believers want to have their secular invocations, and they've been doing it all over the country. Do you think the Greece ruling that said you can have these religious invocations, but they got to be open to everyone, uh, is that a victory or a defeat? Because on paper, that was a defeat for atheists. Yeah, it's a defeat. Yeah, it's a bad decision. And it was based to some degree on... Um, the Marsh decision, Marsh v. Chambers, 1983. In fact, we just had Ernie Chambers on our radio show this week, and he's coming to talk to our convention. Um, and he's the highest-ranking political, oh, I mean, highest-ranking open atheist in U.S. politics, right? He's the Nebraska state senator. I don't know if he's the highest-ranking, but uh, he's he's been out for years. Yeah, yeah. he's he's a 40-year senator uh, in the state of Nebraska. Yeah, a he had just time. got the death penalty overturned yeah, just, in Nebraska. Yeah, just this last May. Yeah. pretty much every single session, Ernie Chambers has introduced a repeal <laughs> of the death penalty. Uh, you know, for 40 years, they term limited him out. By the way, <laughs> they they you know they got it they got it changed so that there were term limits. So he waited for four years, and he ran again and got reelected. <laughs> so he's back in again. They tried to get rid they of love him. love him, yeah. <laughs> his, his constituents love him, right. you know. And the rest of this conservative state hates him. But he managed to get, and he said it was a really surprise. It was kind of a fluke because there were a whole bunch of brand-new conservative members of the Senate who voted with him on this death penalty thing. So they hadn't been in long enough, I, I to guess. To hate him. <laughs> I, well, anyway. They didn't know how it was supposed to work. But uh, anyway, persistence pays off, And uh, but what a character. Um, yeah. But uh, for someone like him, he sued God, you know, a couple of years ago. <laughs> Did you see that? Yes. It, it was kind of a, a, a protest of frivolous lawsuits. So he sued God for acts of God's acts of God, and he couldn't be served because God didn't have an address. It was something funny. <laughs> and Ernie says, but God doesn't need an address. He's everywhere. <laughs> He's just telling the judge. <laughs> He's sick this is what happens when you let an atheist <laughs> loose in politics. <laughs> so, the, so the Greece case, though, you were saying it, it is a defeat, even though atheists can now give these invocations and file lawsuits if they're set, told, no, you can't give one. Well, see, this strategy now is kind of a drawback and punt strategy. It's a plan B. We don't think there should be prayers at city council meetings. But since the Supreme Court allows them, we want to test how sincere the decision was in saying that you can't have any viewpoint discrimination. So a lot of cities and counties know that, and they're letting atheists and agnostics and others in Wiccans come in because they don't want to give up their local priests and 
preachers, so they're going to have to begrudgingly allow anyone in the community. So, you know, we have a, a contest, and nothing feels like for a contest, that if you will deliver one of these secular invocations and get it videotaped, then we, we, we will judge, and we, I think it's five people we fly to our convention to give it at our convention. <laughs> And this year, you can give it in front of Ron Reagan. Ron Reagan's coming to talk at our convention. That's awesome. Ronald Ra- President Reagan's son. Yeah. Who's an atheist. Yeah. So let's talk about him. That commercial has been playing several times. This commercial for FFRF featuring Reagan's son, Ron Reagan, yeah. uh, saying, I'm an atheist and I'm not afraid of burning in hell. Yeah. And yeah. every time that airs, if you do like a Twitter search for like Reagan or something, people are flipping out over this commercial. And you should see our phone calls. Oh, I'm sure. What what is the response you've been getting? Well, it's beautiful because it's <laughs> the, the re, there, there's no there's no gray area responses. There's no we're getting the lovers and the haters that call us, and boy, the people who hate and or people call up. I want to talk to Ron Reagan. <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk. That's not really Reagan's son, was it? Uh, why would he say something like that? And, and then some of them are you know we've had to have like restraining orders, and and oh some goodness. of them are trying to tie up our phone system and mm. spoof our you know all that kind of crap. Uh, but people who call from uh, somebody who says, I never knew this is wonderful. I'm the only atheist in North Dakota. And, and this th- is their first exposure to yeah. an atheist? And, they've heard, and they're all their life. They, they didn't realize there's other people, you know. Have they heard of the Internet? Well, <laughs> some of the older ones, maybe not. You right. know? We, we have members of our group who don't own a computer. Wow. You know, and... Have you ever heard of postage stamps? They, people, we have people, I've heard of these things. Yeah, they, they, they stick on, a, on an envelope. <laughs> They're people like that. That's how they communicate still. Mm-hmm. Wonderful people. But, um, uh, but it's great to get the calls from the supporters who are so happy. Uh, it depends what media, it depends what show you're on. We, we did a lot on The Daily Show and some on uh, CNN, and all three major networks censored it. <laughs> and... It was CBS or NBC, I forget which one, told Annie Laurie, if you just take off that last line, we'll run it. I'm burning in. I'm an atheist, not afraid afraid of burning in. Yeah, if you just take off, not afraid of burning, then we'll run it. And she says, well, that's the whole point of it, you know? And besides, why are you in censorship? You know, I mean, isn't this a free country? And we're paying you for this ad, and yet you don't want to run a paid ad from us, right? (laughs) So uh, that shows you the power of religion uh, uh, even in the media. Uh, since you brought up The Daily Show, you have I think you've done it twice now. Is that right? Yeah. Twice now. And every time, so they're doing a story. I think one of the stories, the more recent one, was uh, like a lady's diner. Uh, what was the story there? Yeah, Mary's Diner in North Carolina, Winston-Salem, was offering a 15% discount to people who prayed before their meal. And FFRF decided to send a letter saying you can't do that. Yeah, we informed her of the law. It was not a threatening letter, although if you watch that Daily Show clip... FFRF, you threatened them with a lawsuit. Of course, we didn't, you know, but right. we, we were just informing her. And she did the right thing. She said, okay, thank you for... And so she stopped the practice, right? Right. But the local media made a big deal out of it. So well, sure, it's a juicy story. And then, yeah. so the Daily Show comes in. They are on the side of the business owner here saying, well, it's a 15% discount for prayer. Why are these... Eight, you know, Daily Show being so, yeah. quote-unquote, a liberal show... They were against FFRF on these They were spoofing me and FFRF, you know. And so so when I pointed out that, well, the Civil Rights Act is not just race, uh, but it's also religion and, you know, all these other things. You're comparing this to Martin Luther King and the Civil Rights? A prayer discount and a... You're comparing that? Aren't you over... You know, they they made this big, weird... If you saw it, you know, this overblown 
like, like we were trying to say, this is just as important as marching for freedom with Martin Luther King, right? And we never said that. And in fact, the business owner did the right thing and even agreed with us about that. But uh, it was a skit. It was just when a you quick... go into that. When they, how did they contact you? Did they say, "Hey, we're the Daily Show and we want to make fun of you"? <laughs> like, what did they say? No, they wanted to do us. They wanted to do an interview about the issue. And do you know you're going to be the butt of their their no. tirade? No, because if anything, you and I would think that that restaurant owner should be the butt of the joke. Okay. Right, you would yes. think that that would be the joke. Here's a restaurant giving, you know, but uh, I forget the guy's name. The Jordan uh, Klepper, was, was that his name? Yeah, I yeah, think that was the guy. Yeah, who yeah, did yeah. The interview. yeah. So he's <laughs> trying to make a skit that's funny, ha ha ha. And so we all know that. And I signed this thing, this waiver thing, and <laughs> and I I looked at knowing the that they're going to edit this to do whatever they want. Yeah, and, and the first time I did was with the Mother Teresa thing, and and uh, <laughs> you know half of them were atheists. Oh, sure. The writer, the main writer, he said, we agree with you guys. And they were really like, this is great work you're doing. But they had a show to make, and right. they were going to poke fun at us. So they did, and it was kind of weird. And, and I asked the editor um, after that. We, we did a two-and-a-half-hour interview yeah. talking about in-depth, about a lot of stuff, in-depth. But they boiled it down to like two sentences, right? Right. So the stuff, they, they only put in something that would make it look like ha-ha. And I asked the editor, I said, you, you're the guy with the power here, aren't you? you can... <laughs> and I could see what they were doing. In fact, they were filming one question, but then they would edit in the answer to another question. They could do it. And he said, yep, if I wanted to, I could make you say, I like altar boys. <laughs> <laughs> and I signed a thing that said he had the right to do that, right. which is kind of scary. Uh, and, it, and you don't see the final product until it's on air. No, and so we're thinking, oh, good, what's it going to be? And then, oh, well... But um, but that's what they did to you the first time, though, right? With the Mother Teresa story. Yeah. So you knew that they're the po- probably going to do there the same thing again. There was a possibility, <laughs> yeah. But uh, at least in both of those shows, there was one or two sentences of mine that they kept that were spot on. Okay. Right? And then they played off of it. Sure. So at least I made my point. They were at least fair enough to let me say what we want to say, uh, maybe incomplete, because what are you going to do like in a 90-second Right. Deal? But still... So uh, if you if you just take those comments, it's we laid I laid forth you know the issues there. What response do you get to those segments? Uh, we usually get pretty good. We we get we we hear from some mad atheists who said, "Couldn't you? Why did you go on that show?" And, <laughs> and uh, um, you just want to let, let them kick you around. And uh, but we do hear from people who said, "You know what? They really treated you like crap." You know that 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 host was he was missing the issue. So there's a lot of. It's smart viewers who can see through the whole joke, right? Yeah, and I have to think, like, a lot of the critics who complain about it, like, if The Daily Show said we want to do a segment with you or some, or Fox News said we want, to do a, we want to have an interview with you on air, if you work with an organization, that's very hard to say no to, even though you know how this is going to go. Or you suspect it. You don't yeah, know. He yeah. could have gone either way. What would you have done <laughs> if they'd called you for that? Segment? I would have done it. Yeah. Oh, sure. Well, and, and there's an adventure to it, too. Yeah. You, you go to New York, and they put you in a nice five-star hotel, and there's limousine service, and you, treat, <laughs> you know, this whole thing. And uh, I had a view of the New York skyline and all that. And then you, you're interviewed. I mean, there's something fun about that whole process. Yeah. But, uh, but then you don't know what they're going to do with their pair of scissors afterwards. Right. Uh, well. And it's interesting only because you know that so much of the staff probably agrees with you on the issue. but Half of them. I'm sure half of them. Yeah. Are, they're New York City liberal atheist types, and they're... But they want the laugh. They, sure. And they've got careers to build. The other one was is, is, um, Jason Jones, you know. Yeah. That was, uh, 
And uh, he he's made a pretty good career in life. But part of that was doing these skits that, you know, ha, ha, ha. Well, it's not but, funny if everyone's just like, yep, you're right on your point. Yeah. I guess this segment's over. I mean, that there's no segment there. But, you know, after all is said and done, no matter what happened, I can at least say I was on The Daily Show. Right. Twice. You know, you can at least <laughs> say that. And don't watch it, but I was on... <laughs> Um, what, so what has been the biggest change since you began at FFRF till now? What has, what have the trends been? I mean, we always hear about the rise of the nuns, so we know the membership is growing and there are more atheists willing to say that. Um, but as an organization, like what has changed maybe from when you started working there to now? In principle, nothing's changed. The same two purposes, state church and educating about free thought hasn't changed. Uh, it's just the level of it has ramped up. So now with a bigger legal staff and uh, a larger organization, and when you've been around for four decades, you can finally get to a place where you have some resources, where we can send some money to Taslima Nasreen to help her get out of India because of the death threats against her, where we can send some money to some country for relief. In fact, we just started another organization called non-belief relief because a lot of our foundation members want to help so um and there's more news behind that that we can talk about later uh dealing with the irs but uh so um with more resources then we can actually do more things we can help the secular student alliance and we can uh anytime the secular student alliance needs a speaker from ffrf if it's a ssa group we'll pay the expenses of getting the speaker there. Like when Andrew goes to talk on a college campus or Rebecca or Sam or Patrick um, or myself or Annie Laurie. So we're comfortable enough to be able to do that now after all these years. But, but the country has changed too, as you say, the growth of the nuns. What do you think is the most important pressing issue in terms of state church separation right now? Is it the IRS issue? The IRS is important. We had we had three lawsuits against the IRS, and we have one that we're continuing with that we lost on standing, but we're going to regain standing. And it's it's an exciting story, and we'll write about it in a few months probably, uh, especially with me and Annie Laurie and our our personal IRS taxes and all that. I got to tell you something: if you're ever going to sue the IRS, make sure you've been perfectly scrupulous with your own taxes because <laughs> the government u.s attorney comes in and they're looking through all your past would yeah. you like them looking through all your past irs forms i mean know? i got nothing to hide <laughs> okay but you're right you better have your shit yeah in order exactly because if, if they can find any one little thing uh that's important but we kind of think right now that vouchers is looming school vouchers vouchers yeah at a statewide level or at a national level state right now uh, wisconsin where we live uh Vouchers started off as a little thing, now it's being expanded. So this means basically they're using taxpayer money to say you can go to the school of your choice, but that includes religious schools. Yeah. And so, yeah, and, and it's, it's not just taxpayer money, but it's education money from the state for educating children. It's being diverted now under what they call parental choice. And the Supreme Court has upheld that, by the way, because the nexus was broken. You can't, uh, you can't accuse the state of having a religious motivation if it gets into the hands of the parents, and then they make their decision. So we could never challenge that on the Establishment Clause under the current Supreme Court decisions. So in Wisconsin, they're trying to expand that now. And almost all of those other schools that parents, you know, non-state schools, they're almost all religious. And a lot of them are really bad. And a lot of them... And, I mean, we're talking teaching creationism. Yeah. We're talking uh, yeah. anti-sex education, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. And, and many of them, they don't have the same state standards. They don't have the same state accountability. 
they don't have the requirement to accept uh, disabilities. If, if there's students that are doing bad, they can just dump them back on the school system. And, so it's uh, bad education, yeah, period. And, and we're making that point as well. In fact, Patrick, our, one of our attorneys, Patrick, is be- becoming quite an expert on this whole voucher issue all over the country. That's really scary because your tax dollars and my tax dollars are going to some family to support them in some cult where they might, their school might consist of, uh, like in, in, I think it was Mississippi or Louisiana, it was a bunch of kids sitting in a living room watching videos all day. That was it. They were getting state money, and they were watching creationism videos, and they were getting, that, that was, state education money was going for that, which uh, n- not only is bad for education, but it's bad for the public schools because it's draining resources away from the public schools. They still have to keep their doors open and, and still have and to welcome. public school teachers, which I was one for a while. Yeah. I mean, they, they don't like vouchers for that reason, too. It's diverting money from the public schools. Yeah. We think those private schools should exist and can exist if they pay for themselves. Like Ben Franklin said, a good religion will support itself. But as soon as a religion starts needing the help of the government, then that's then it's not a good religion. It's failing in its ability. It needs help from the taxpayers. So uh, we're all for this freedom of school choice as long as you pay for your own choice. Like private school, like at a private college, right? What, what would happen um, if this... If the state you live in decided to take state public money to go into these private colleges to right. educate, you know, like, same thing. They should be able to pay for themselves. I have one last question. Every time I see Freedom From Religion Foundation mentioned, especially in like whether they're quoting a pastor or it's right wing media or something, they're always like, oh, it's freedom of religion, not freedom from religion. As if I don't even know what that's supposed to mean. But how do you guys respond to that one? Because they're saying that the First Amendment says, uh, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. So there's freedom of religion in the First Amendment, but there's no freedom from religion. And we have to point out, it's the same word. In fact, in some languages, you can't say it. In Spanish, you can't say that. It's the same word, of and from. It's the same word. So we have to point out that you can't have freedom of religion if you don't have freedom from religion. If the government's telling you you have to be religious, is that religious freedom? So um, there is freedom from religion. In fact, that establishment clause basically is freedom from religion. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion. So the government is free from religion. People are not. Mm-hmm. We don't sue people. We sue governments. If the, if, if, there's a difference between free speech and government speech. So when people speak, that's fine. But when the government speaks or acts, that's where there's freedom from religion in our government. Our government is supposed to be neutral. Excellent. Well, Dan, thank you so much for your time. And where can people find your book and where can they find FFRF? Well, Godless has been out since 2008, and Richard Dawkins wrote the forward to that. Life Driven Purpose is just out this spring uh, with uh, Pitchstone Publications. It's online. Uh, we just did an audiobook of it, and Daniel Dennett read the forward, nice. which is kind of cool. And now we're making an audiobook, finally, seven years late, of, uh, <laughs> of Godless. Great. And Richard Dawkins is going to read the forward to that. And then Richard and I have a new book coming out next spring. What's that going to be about? You remember that famous sentence in chapter two of The God Delusion where he says, the God of the Old Testament is arguably the most unpleasant character in all fiction, jealous and proud of it, petty, unjust, an unforgiving race. He goes around with his 19. all these adjectives. Well, each of those adjectives is a chapter of the book. (laughs) And it's about what? This is why you shouldn't believe in God? Here's where he is uh, genocidal. Yeah. 
Interesting. Yeah, the one about genocidal has all the doc. He wanted help to actually. Doc- he said he's got more criticism from that one sentence than anything else he's ever written. So it's going to be all there. And what we're doing is we're inviting people to read the Bible. Yeah. What, what do you want? Here, here, here's the Bible. Here, here's the book that you like. As in, here's all the quotations to justify, to justify those each passages. one of those. Yeah, and there's there's more than two thousand Bible passages in the book documenting not just those nineteen, but I added eight more. <laughs> that Dawkins overlooked. Uh-huh. Part one is says Dawkins was right, but part two of the book says Dawkins was too kind. <laughs> so, so it's it's uh, it's Sterling Publications. That, that won't be out until probably next February. But that uh, sounds awesome. Um, yeah, that, <laughs> that won't stir up anyone's anger. <laughs> that sounds fun. Um, excellent. And they can go to FFRF.org yep. if they want to become members or if they want to join or, or, or if you just want some help. If you have a state church problem, there's a legal form there. You can fill it out and, you, and one of our attorneys will get back to you right away. Yeah, and I can't say personally how many times I've gotten emails from listeners or readers who say this is going on in my high school. I don't know what to do. And that's exactly where I send them. Fill out this form. Let me hook you up with an FFRF attorney because they know this stuff. They know what they're doing, and they will help you out. And if it's a school thing, they're really – it's high priority. They're really quick. And they might say, hey, I just found out they're praying at my graduation next Tuesday. So we got to get on it like right, like right now before before quitting time. we got to get that letter out to that school. So. Yeah, those and attorneys are very hard They Oh, they're wonderful people. They're, yeah. uh, and, and, you know, it's a nonprofit job, so they're not going to make millions of bucks, but they just love the work to make. I saw Andrew a, a year ago going, I love my job. He was in his <laughs> office because he, he, he helped stop some bullying in a Florida school, and he was actually able to make a difference in somebody's that is life. Awesome. You know? Yeah. That's fantastic. Thank you, Dan. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the podcast for FriendlyAtheist.com. This episode was taped at Cinnamon Sound Studios in Aurora, Illinois, and the music was written and performed by Brad Chagdis. If you like what you're hearing, please consider making a contribution at Patreon.com slash Hemant. That's He-Man T. We appreciate your support. I'm Hemant Mehta. And I'm Jessica Blumke. We hope you'll join us next time.